0: We're going to be spending time in the book of Matthew this year. I've never, um, I've never tried to teach through one of the longer, bigger books of the Bible. But this year, we're going to be spending a lot of time in Matthew. We might take a couple of breaks, um, maybe a little bit of a break during the summer and then come back to it. But over the next year or so, we're going to be spending a lot of time in the book of Matthew, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, before we jump into Matthew today, let me just talk about some things that I've been thinking about over the last um, week or so. One is is just talking to you about um, the state of the church, and what I mean by that is, is the state of the church right here, but also the state of the church across America, and this has been something that's been weighing on me for a little while. It's just thinking about what does it look like to be the body of Christ in a really broken world and are in a nation um, which is increasingly um, unmoored from any sense of foundations, and, uh, and that um, if this nation was at one time a Christian nation, whatever that means, um, that, it's, that it's very distanced from its foundations. And so we're seeing some things go on in the church that we're still trying to grasp what the meaning is uh, of, of a church that's just really struggling across America. I was reading an article in Religion News Service um, this week that was saying that, um, that 50% of the churches in America are in the South. That's called the Bible Belt. And the church in general is just struggling. Um, I think, I might have my numbers slightly off, but I think that um, the average church in America in the year 2000 was about 137 um, people. The average church today is 67. And so this is not normal. We have more just in this service on a snowy day than the average church in America. We have about 30 more that were in this service than the average church in America. And this is our second service. And what we have right here is very unique and it's very special. And this church has a level of health that a lot of churches don't have. I, I met with a friend and his pastor, he used to be a part of the church here. He lives in Livingston. I met with him last week and, and he was saying is, is that like Livingston, he was talking about Livingston and we were talking about the church there. And he said, Livingston is almost the flip of big timber. In big timber, the spiritual soil in big timber is rich and deep. That's not true in Livingston. He said, now, literally, our soil is rich and deep. He said, I've operated a backhoe, and I've gone six feet down and never stopped hitting soil, is you'd have a tough time getting through the rocks here to get that deep. So, um, but he said, the spiritual soil over here is very shallow, and the spiritual soil in big timber is very deep. And he brought up some of your names that add to that depth and just grieving about how um, Livingston is, is, is a place where churches do not thrive. I was meeting with the pastor over there. They, they planted a church there in the last few years. For the first year that they were there, all they did was serve their community, him and his wife and his family, brought in a few people at a time to help serve their community. Um, literally in, I, I think it was 2020, they were named— the outstanding serving organization in the community as a couple. That one couple served their community to such a great extent that they were named the outstanding organization in the community serving their community. And they're, they're planting that church based on serving their hurting community. They have 50 people in their church. And, um, and he said, the needs are Unbelievable. And I was thinking about that just in the sense of is, is that, um, you know, we are very blessed here is we saw things that other churches did not see. We saw our ties go up during COVID and a lot, a lot of churches didn't see that. Now, a lot of churches have recovered to some extent or another, but we stopped passing the offering baskets and we forget to mention that they're even there and our giving increased. And that's allowed us to do incredible things, not just in our community, but all over the world. Like, you think about what's going on in the Philippines right now, and that typhoon that hit the Philippines is the worst typhoon that they've ever experienced. And the island where we do our work is among the worst hit. And every day, the partner church that we have on the ground over there is is they're going everywhere that they can to get clean water and food and housing. Is they're, they're serving people, but they're serving people because of you. In fact, the church a week ago is, is we committed $10,000 to help out there. And then through Montana on a mission, which is now way bigger than the church, even though it started out of the church is we're doing stuff in the Philippines and in Kenya and, and lots of other places. And in Kenya, the drought is so bad that people are literally without food. They're beginning to starve. And so we're now feeding the, the families that are the most needy in the part of Kenya where we work. And we can't do that without a solid base, without, uh, without a financial base, and without a base of prayer, and without a base of love. And this church can really be that to a lot of places. And I was thinking about that because I was thinking about the church in America is really struggling. And, and our group is no different than other groups, But at the same time, there are some really good things that are happening and they're happening because of individuals like you who are saying is is that I want to follow Jesus and I want to do it in the context of his body, the body of Christ, because this is really important is, is the building is not important, is if we ever put the building before the work that we're supposed to be doing, I pray that it burns down. I'd rather just get rid of it because I see churches, they're making their buildings a monument and they're forgetting that they follow a Messiah and that the monument, the monument, it it, it becomes almost what churches worship. And a lot of those churches, they've stopped teaching the word of God. And it's okay. It's okay if they just stop, if they just quit, if they're not gonna return to the word of God and we're at just as much risk as, I'm not bragging here because we're at just as much risk as any church is to stop teaching God's word and start pressing in to being like Christ and following Jesus. We're at risk. And, um, and I, I was thinking about this in the context of the churches in Revelation. There are seven churches in Revelation and, and God, Jesus speaks to these churches in Revelation and, and each one of them has some different issues is, is in to the one church um, Let me look at my heading here. To the church of Ephesus, um, Jesus says, you have persevered and you've endured hardship for my name and you have not grown weary, yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken your first love. And that's true of some churches. And Jesus says, consider how fall you've fallen, repent and do the things you did at first. And then the church in Smyrna, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. Sometimes the most dangerous thing that can be true of a church is is that they have lots of resources because they start to depend on their resources instead of the one who provides them. But you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Wow. Do not be afraid for what you're about to suffer. That often can't be said of the church in America that we're doing everything we can to avoid suffering. And then um, to the church of Pergamum. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Wow. And yet you did not renounce your faith. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you that hold the teaching of Balaam. Um and you've sacrificed to idols, and you've committed sexual immorality. And you know, we may not have the same name of what we worship today, but the church in America, at least, and and in many other places, allows idolatry to slip in, where our devotion is diluted, where whether we're worshiping money or we're worshiping literally other gods. Um, That's one of the things that um, my friend said about Livingston is, is because of the cult influence there and having the seven ascended masters, really these seven different leaders of religions, that that's part of the reason why the soil in Livingston is so shallow. Is because there isn't a single hearted devotion in a lot of living sin. And the churches have really struggled. It's almost as though there is a spiritual resistance to the body of Christ there. And that cult has roots still yet. Um, and uh, the Church of Thyatira is I know your deeds, your love and your faith, your service, your perseverance and that you are now doing more than you, than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel, kind of that symbolic, that immoral one. Um, just again, allowing immorality into the church. You see the seven churches that are in um, Revelation are really, they really could be any church. And here's the one, the church of Sardis. I don't know why this one struck out, Stuck out to me. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. What you've heard at first, hold fast to and repent. But if you do not wake up, I'll come like a thief and you will not know what time I will come to you. But I, I love that. Strengthen what remains. And there's a sense that we always have to be doing that. Even when we have a solid base, we always have to be strengthening what remains. What does that look like in your own life? Is to strengthen what's there. So even if you have a little bit of faith to strengthen it and grow it, but for, for us as a church, that's, that's a lot of the role that we've been playing is not only do we have to do that within and, and we have to do it for ourselves, but we are coming alongside of churches where we can, whether it's around the world or whether it's here in the United States and strengthening Whatever is there, even if it's what remains, there's a little bit there. And so during COVID, um, we were able to come alongside of churches that were really struggling is is maybe they didn't have the technology that we have um, where we're able to live stream or, um, or maybe they're just short on resources. And we were able to come alongside some, some churches and provide resources. We provided live streaming ability um, to a couple of churches. Do you realize this is that like we're almost back to our in-person attendance numbers, of where we are at during COVID, and we've had 2,500 downloads of our messages over the last two years. And occasionally, we get cards from other places in the nation saying thank you. Um, our our church closed down during COVID, and so we've been attending church online. And, and again, that's I, I don't want that to come across the wrong way as in bragging. We got to remain humble. But we also got to come alongside of um, other churches. Um, and, uh, and I do have a concern when it comes to Big Timber. There's essentially been zero momentum in Big Timber in the 21 years that I've been here. And what I mean by that is that even though our church has done very well in a lot of ways, there are no more people percentage-wise that are connected to a life-giving biblical church than was true in 2000. In fact, is, is we could probably say that there are less people. So even though this church has grown, other churches have closed their doors or are barely open and i grieve that is there needs to be representations of the body of christ in every community and, and now the thing is is they got to teach the word of god and they've got to be focused on following jesus but it's not a good thing that other churches have closed their door or that other churches are just hanging on um, so what does it look like for us to strengthen what remains and i am way off of where i should probably be given our time um, but really you are an amazing group of people and i am blessed to be the pastor one of the pastors here coming up uh, is our 100 year anniversary on march 22nd of this year the sunday before our 100 year anniversary um we'll have a celebration now That's not a hundred years since that building back there was built because the church is not the building. The church is the body of Christ, literally the people that, that represent Jesus and are seeking to be like Jesus. And um, in 1922, a group of 19 people, if I remember correctly, um, got together and decided to plant a church in Big Timber. And they felt like is, is that there could be another church here that could represent Christ and share Christ with people. And that that would, here's what we find about planting churches is when you plant a church in a community, it makes the other churches stronger. The other churches that are solid, stronger, because all of the churches start saying, hey, what can we do to reach more people? Usually that's what happens, not all the time. And they decided that they were going to plant a church in 1922, and 19 people wrote their names on a letter about their intention, and they sacrificed and they sacrificed and they sacrificed. And part of the reason why we're here today is, is because of the sacrifices of the people that came before us. And literally, when I say sacrifices" is they did not have much money. The ranchers in the community literally brought sacks of concrete until they had enough, enough material together to put the basement in next door and they worshiped in the basement until they were able to build the upstairs. And so the building, I, I can't remember the exact t- details, but the building actually wasn't there until I think it was 1929, 1925 or 1929. Um, and um, I've heard that if you take the sheetrock off the walls over there, you're gonna find the names of people on it or you know, some of the wood over there, because people would literally bring the wood and they'd write their name on it, whoever brought the wood and the sheetrock and things like that. So we are where we at because other people sacrificed it, because other people prayed, and because other people persevered. And um, Jim Scolton's mom, some of you remember Jim. Altha Skolton is still here. Jim passed away a few years ago. Jim Scolton's mom was one of the original founders of the church. Alta is our last connection to that group of people. And Alta's dad was pastor here during the 1950s. And he built the house that Kim and I bought from the church. Um, So that's coming up. Um, I mentioned that we're going to be walking through Matthew. Let me give you a quick overview of Matthew this morning. The overall message of Matthew is one that has a repeating chorus, I was thinking about that this morning is is that a lot of times the reason why songs are memorable is because there's a chorus and we can come back to that chorus and we can sing it over and over again and it'll kick us into another verse. And each verse is unique, but the chorus a lot of times is what's most catchy. And Matthew has some repetition. It has a chorus, so to speak. Now understand is, is that there are four Gospels. There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But when we say that, we could become confused because four gospels does not mean four gospels. There's only one gospel. It's the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus and the good news about the forgiveness that comes to us through him. One gospel, four writers who give us the details about Jesus's life. And each one of those gospels, so to speak, have a little different theme. They have a little different purpose. They highlight things that are important to the audience that they're writing to because each one of these gospels, even though we have all four of them and and we're a blessed audience because we have the four perspectives, but Matthew, for instance, it focuses a lot on the Old Testament and about how Jesus fulfilled what the prophets said would happen. And Matthew is a Jew writing to Jews and, and he wants them to understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that they've been taught and that they've known about. And so it has a ver- very Hebrew, a very Jewish feel to it. Um, now, on the other hand, Mark is a little bit different. Mark is written to a, a bigger audience. And you even wonder is this, how did Mark come to write Mark? Because Mark wasn't even one of the disciples. Mark may not have even been, been born or he would have been a kid during that time. Well, guess what? Mark is writing the memories of Peter. And it's interesting because Peter shared these memories and and we actually have a historical reference that said, it, that said that specifically is that Mark's gospel is the memories of Peter. And I can't remember if it's Papias that wrote that. Um, Papias, one of the early um, church, we shouldn't say church fathers, because Jesus is the only church father, but one of the early um, church um, leaders, and, uh, and so Matthew is writing from a particular perspective, is, is Luke, a uh, very Gentile audience and really expansive in its nature. And John is, uh, is very different, is, is the other three gospels are very, very similar and John is a little bit different and it focuses on a lot of comparisons like light and dark. Jesus is the light of the world. And, and, you know, the, the darkness has not overcome <clears throat> the light. A lot of comparisons in John. Anyway, Matthew. In Matthew, the beginning and the end are really important. And so that's where I'm going to focus on is, is I'm going to focus on the bookends of Matthew just a little bit in order to kick us into Matthew. In Matthew 1, one, it says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. I've thought about this. Over the last number of years, we've been doing a read through the Bible program for those that want to participate. And um, so here's a quick advertisement. Out on the um, out on the, um, the table, just outside the secretary's door, there's a five-day reading program to read through the Bible. And uh, you can grab one of these. And it'll kind of walk you through a schedule in order to get through the Bible five days a week. Our other years, we've had a seven-day-a-week um, reading program. We, we, we're doing the five-day one this year because that leaves two days to either catch up or maybe focus on some other parts of Scripture, focus on maybe prayer or some other things during the other two days. There's a reading companion out there for anyone who's really ambitious, um, we only printed seven of them because they're almost 200 pages long. Um, but it's it's not it's it's not that f- that formidable, but it's definitely a greater commitment. And each day is is you can go to the reading for that day. The Old Testament's at the beginning. Psalms follows the Old Testament, and then the New Testament is after that. And after you do your reading, you can read this, and it'll just give you a little bit deeper insights. Now, the reason I say that is is um, getting back to Matthew one one. I'm always surprised when I'm reading scripture at the details that I miss. I've read through the Bible quite a number of times and every time I read through I see new things. Like even when I was reading this first verse in Matthew, I was I was surprised at the amount of significance in this one sentence this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. Like we miss the significance here, but Messiah means anointed one. Anointed one in the Old Testament was often ascribed to the kings. But now we have Messiah, Savior, that's, that's ascribed to Jesus as, as Jesus, the Messiah. Anyone reading that line, especially a Jew, would would know exactly what's being claimed, and they would either react negatively or positively. They they might react negatively and say, but I'm gonna keep reading because I need to find out what this guy is saying. Or they might react um, negatively and say, I'm gonna quit reading because Messiah being ascribed to Jesus is a big deal. Even some Jews today would say, you can call him Jesus, but do not call him the Christ because of the significance of that title right there, Messiah anointed one, king. But Matthew doesn't stop there. He says, son of David. And that again, that's going to put up all kinds of flags for, for the Jewish reader because son of David is, is now, it's not just being said that this is the Messiah. This is the son of David. And if you go to 2 Samuel 7, verse 11 and verse 16, God promises David That he will establish his throne literally forever. In verse 16, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. That is an audacious connection. And the point that Matthew's making is is that Jesus is the king. He is the forever king and he has sovereign authority over everything. His kingdom displaces the other kingdoms and he will rule in righteousness and justice. And Matthew goes even further because the next statement is the son of Abraham. While we're going back to the original Hebrew, did you know this is, is that Abraham wasn't a Hebrew until he was a Hebrew. I'm not trying to be convoluted. I'm actually, I'm actually saying is, is that he wasn't a Hebrew until God said Abraham from you there's going to come a nation the jewish nation the hebrew nation comes from Abraham before that he he was he was a tied to a different nation and and God said i am making you the one from whom i am going to bless all others and so tying tying jesus to Abraham in genesis chapter 12 god says To Abraham, I'll make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all of the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And the point is is that Jesus is the king and that he's going to reign over a kingdom and through him all people will be blessed and really is the body of Christ is called to be that, that physical, tangible blessing of Jesus in the world today. And one might wonder is, is what are the implication, implications for us? And the first implication is, is to own that. He has blessed us. You cannot be more blessed than the blessed that you are when you follow Jesus. Because he is the blessing and the one who blesses. And when you are blessed by him, you can actually bless others in a way that is impossible apart from him. So be a blessing. And that means that we got to stay close to his word because we got to know who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And we've got to know what he looks like so that we can be like Christ. What's the danger in all of this? I was thinking about this over the last couple of days and I, I, I think the danger is distraction I put this in the email that I sent out yesterday that I hope that you received, is that Solomon, when he was before the people, he was saying is is that we need to follow our God. And yet it wasn't very long and Solomon became distracted. He became distracted by his power and his money and by sex and by all kinds of things. And he was soon abandoning God and worshiping idols. And he was the wisest man in the world, apart from Jesus. And if the wisest of the wise abandons God when they get distracted, then we will very quickly do the thing, the same thing. And so it's so important for us to daily, daily, Just put ourselves before Jesus and say, Jesus, help me to follow you and I'm gonna mess it up at times. And when I do mess it up, help me to come to you because I know that you've never messed it up. So, and I am taking all kinds of rabbit trails today. So, um, here's the other distraction. If we fellowship too much together, then there's gonna be a problem. Because holy huddles that huddle too much die. And if we're not careful, so there's two dangers, fellowshipping and fighting. And I'm sometimes shocked by the things that are tearing apart the church today. The things that should be maybe disagreements and I don't even mind the disagreements, things that we should maybe talk about but I am seeing churches literally blowing up because of arguments about, and I'll throw out a couple of theological terms and you may not understand them and it's okay, but because of a Calvinist perspective of salvation and sanctification and a Wesleyan perspective of salvation and sanctification. And here's what I'm seeing is, is I'm seeing churches begin to argue and then they split and then they go out into the community and then they talk about each other. And I literally am seeing this all over the place. I was talking with our new superintendent and he, he said that when he was in college, that he got deeply hurt because he was reading a book about John Wesley. And he left the table to go to the restroom. And when he came back, some other people had sat down at the table and they were talking about who would be stupid enough to read a book about John Wesley and that they should read about John Calvin. These are, these are just human beings, faulty human beings. And, and, and yes, they, 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 they wrote great, great um, books about God and who he is and what he's done to us. And, and they led these movements of leading people back to Christ. And, and, and people follow kind of a perspective of what they see about salvation and sanctification. But um, Corey said is, is he was so deeply hurt as he sat at a little bit of a distance and they talked about how stupid the person was that was reading that book. He said it took him a long time to work his way through that and to not be angry. And yet we're seeing it in our churches and churches across the board. They talk badly about each other. Now here's the deal. We got to agree that the Bible is the word of God. And we can disagree when people say that it's not and when they start compromising scripture. Even when we disagree there, we have to be very careful about speaking badly about others. And I find that struggle is, is where churches are abandoning the word of God and how do I handle that? And how do I I speak against that? And yet at the same time, not attack people's humanity. Okay, again, I'm on rabbit trail. I want to connect us to the end of Matthew. The end of Matthew culminates with the word all. And so in Matthew chapter 28, remember I said that I was going to focus on the bookends. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always. You could say in all ways and always to the very end of the age. I mean, this is really significant because all authority. I mean, what leader claims that level of authority? All authority. If we took the the leaders of the nations today and if we had Biden and Putin and Z, we're just going to say Z, I got his, uh, yeah, whatever. You know who I'm talking about, right? If we took them and if one of them said all authority is given to me, We think, hey, this is a megalomaniac. This is a person that's obsessed with their own power. But you can't understand Matthew unless you understand the great commission and what Jesus is saying here because this is the key to the whole rest of what Matthew is writing. All authority in heaven and on earth that is a expansive claim it's a strange claim it's even a bizarre claim if one of the leaders of the nation said it we would think that they're to borrow from cs lewis that they're a lunatic and a liar at best they're full of themselves and egotistical they're possibly a nutcase At worst, a megalomaniac obsessed with themselves and their power. They're probably overestimating their authority and they're magnifying themselves, even with the claims that they make right now. I mean, you have to be a little bit egotistical to get to that level of power. And the great thing about America is is we limit the amount of time that they can be in there. And we we try to have this separation of government in order to limit their power because... (laughs) I think the founding fathers knew that the sin nature is deep. And so we, we've got to limit any one person's power. But n- these other leaders don't make the claims that Jesus makes. No one makes the claims that Jesus makes and that his followers make about him. Like one day all people will come before him and every knee will bow and every tongue confess. He, the claim to be able to forgive sin and the ability to remit sins that he's greater than the temple and greater than the Torah, that he's the embodiment of scriptures, that his rule will spread to every corner of the world, that he fulfills the law and the prophets, and that all of his commands are to be obeyed. It's striking that he made such claims, but it's even more striking that we believe them. And so we're either gullible or brainwashed, and some people are, or there's a truth that's here that is rational, that smart people like you can believe. There's something believable about Jesus and his claims. So believable that a paper pushing pencil, toting tax collector by the name of Matthew would leave his tax booth and follow him. And later would be one, of four people that would write out the story of his life, death, and resurrection. People like Jesus today, but they don't know what to do with his claims still yet. They don't even like his claims. They love his compassion and love, but you can't just have half of Jesus. You can't just have the compassion and the love. His claims don't allow that. In Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The other great teachers of the world, Socrates, Aristotle, Plato, had really good teaching. And we can admire them, but we don't seek to be like them in the way that we're called to be like Jesus. There's this thing, and I see it all the time, is is I see this bumper sticker coexist and each letter represents one of the seven world religions and i know what's communicated by that now here's the deal i do believe in coexist and i do i do believe in tolerance if you define coexist and tolerance in the way that they're meant to be defined But see, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you're called to take his claims so seriously that they supersede all other claims that are out there. All other potential beliefs about a God. And you're called to be solely committed to the claims of Jesus. That he is the one true savior and that through him, there is no salvation. Or through, without him, there is no salvation, but through him, there is salvation. And we can tolerate other claims. We can, we can coexist among all of the other claims, but we can't say that they're all equal. Because if we do, you're not a follower of Jesus. His claims do not allow it. And today, even in the church, it's slipped in that we can have a commitment to Jesus and be committed to a lot of other things and a lot of other maybe spiritual things and that it'll all be okay, but Jesus doesn't allow that. And so reading the horoscope in order to get spiritual guidance is really occultic. And one could even say is, is that it's demonic. And I could go on, and I know that I've probably offended some, and maybe that's okay. Eh, it's not maybe okay, it is okay. I, I don't want to say this, though, as it's, it's not a, we got to be so careful to keep the words of Jesus, his words, and to be humble because every single one of us is an idolater at heart. Every single one of us is a sinner at heart and we could easily be like Solomon who at the beginning of his reign said, follow God and be wholeheartedly devoted to him. And then months down the road, be led astray by sensual indulgence and false worship and money and our own wisdom. Jesus says, all authority. Go to all nations. And all allegiance. Everything that I've commanded. All authority, all nations, all allegiance. The hymn, all hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. And then the verse, let every tongue and every tribe responsive to his call, to him, all majesty ascribe, and crown him Lord of all. To him, all majesty ascribe, and crown him Lord of all. All nations, first, all authority, all nations, all allegiance. Matthew is really a call to follow Jesus. It's a call to discipleship. The book of Matthew is about the call. Jesus over and over again says, follow me. But it's also about the cost, the cost of following Jesus. It's not easy to follow Jesus. And then it's about the content of being a disciple. What does it look like? How does it work out in our lives? So that follow me. Whoever loves their life, but you can fill in the blank, more than me is not worthy of me. whoever loves money, loves power, loves comfort, loves reputation, even life and breath more than me is not worthy of me. That's all authority. That's all allegiance. And we're called to follow him. And we're reminded in Matthew 6, 12, that when we pray, we pray and ask him to forgive us our sins. And then we're reminded in Matthew 26, 28, that his blood, provides the remittance for sin. This is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many, the forgiveness of sins. That blood flows into our faith, giving our dry bones flesh and taking us from death to life. This is a faith that is not a pick and save religion where you can pick what you want. We are to give him all allegiance by following all his commands, taking his truth to all nations. Will we do it perfectly? No, that's Jesus. We don't have to do it perfectly, but it is important that we do it continuously, always coming back to him. Thank you for bearing with me this morning and giving me extra time, which you didn't have a lot of choice, did you? Love you. Let's pray. Father and Lord God, thanks for your goodness and your grace. Help us to be humble. Help us to live under your authority and remember is is that you're in charge of everything and even when it looks like everything is bad, that it doesn't change your plan. And help us to remember that this is not just for us, that it is to go to all nations and that it will take all of our allegiance every day as we follow your commands. And then, and then Lord, on into the future. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Without him, we are nothing. Thank you that he became weak so that we could become strong. Thank you that he gave up everything so that we could have everything. Thank you that he embraced the cross so that we could be saved. Thank you for your salvation. Be with us, Lord, as we go into a new year. In the name of Jesus, amen.